Superman 2. The adventure continues with the three villains from Krypton. Each one with the same powers as Superman. Each one dedicated to violence against mankind. Think of it. Three supervillains. Or four if you count him twice. The adventure continues in Paris with Lois Lane. I believe this is your floor. And the romance continues. The adventure continues in Washington. The world is on the brink of destruction. Superman, can you hear me? And Metropolis is in ruins. Is there no one on this planet to even challenge me? Superman! General, would you care to step outside? Revenge! 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 Now we're cooking, huh? Big one's just as strong as Superman. If you've only seen the first part, you haven't seen the best part. The adventure continues in Superman 2. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast... All the galaxies, all for you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC. We are broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com. And yes, we have another great episode, or or should I say a super episode of the IPC podcast tonight. We're going to be talking more Superman. We discussed the original film from 1978 last week. We're moving ahead a couple years to the year 1980 to discuss Superman 2. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. And I'm sure there'll be tangents. There'll be all kinds of stuff peppered throughout that we will get into. But uh, before we get into it, of course, my name is Ben. And joining me, as he always does, as he did last week, and as I hope he's here with me now, it's my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. Zach, how's it going over there? 
Oh, see, he's messing with me now. I see. I see how this is. Yeah, yeah, totally messing with and, and And not having internet issues of any kind whatsoever. Totally. Oh, is that how it is? This. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 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 totally messing with you. Totally not hearing every three or four seconds, and totally not understanding exactly where exactly where we are at this point. This point in the. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy that I can finally hear you again. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to talk about this movie, which is uh, something I was not expecting to say after last week's episode. Episode, but I literally just finished finished watching it like an hour ago. And um, I, I have some thoughts, and I, I understand you have some thoughts as well. So mm-hmm. it should make it should make for an interesting evening, I think. Yeah, hopefully the internet will hold out. <laughs> that was yeah. I, I did not expect that I either. Off, I turned off the internet on my cell cell phone, so on, so I'm like maximizing maximizing my bandwidth into this device right now. Nothing else is playing. Nothing else is going on. Like I'm channeling all my attention and my energy to to this right here, right now. Uh, internet, internet, it's, it's, it's a way of life for us, but also a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, that is very true, but luckily, uh, I'm looking at moving my podcasting station router in the not-too-distant future. Uh, I've made some rearrangements to my house since we last spoke. Uh, the carpet cleaners have come and gone and have fixed up my house really nice, and I'm looking at putting some furniture in different places and stuff, and one of those pieces of furniture that I thing is an L-shaped glass desk that I'm going to put in the corner of the living room practically five feet away from the internet router. So if proximity plays any factor in uh, Wi-Fi signal, then I'll be pretty darn set probably in the next month or so. Yeah, I hear you. And yeah, it's, I don't know, internet is just, (laughs) it's so bad sometimes. And I think I have pretty good internet. It doesn't seem to give me any much problems, but every time I sit down the podcast, something Mm -hmm. goes wrong. Yep, uh, it'll it'll do great for you when you're listening to a podcast. It'll do great for you when you're streaming Netflix or Hulu, and then you get ready to do uploads instead of downloads, and that's where it gets you. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of downloads and uploads, you had to download this movie, didn't you? Uh, actually, I didn't. I streamed it through uh, <laughs> other means. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm gonna pat myself on the back here today. I rented this on YouTube. <laughs> I rented it like a normal person. I did I, not steal it. I, I am not an it. internet pirate. I rented it on Amazon. <laughs> I, I went I went on Amazon was very very similar. What's interesting is they actually had two different versions of this available and I had to make sure that I watched the right one because um, very much like the Blade Runner franchise, there's different cuts of this film. Yes. So and this is something that I've known about for a while, but I, upon watching the first film and then watching this one after the fact, I kind of started doing some research on it. And there is, of course, the theatrical cut that came out in 1980. And then there is the Richard Donner cut, which came out in the early 2000s. 2006, according to my research. There you go. So, and I was like, what is this? Because, like, it's like Blade Runner or anything like that. Like, what do you watch? And we've had the thing, and going back to... 
you know, another Superman movie, Batman v Superman. <laughs> there's the oh, there's a boy. different ca- different case, but still the same thing of different versions, different cuts. And uh, I'm not getting into the Snyder Cut thing, but... Uh, no, not going down that rabbit hole But today. from what I understand, this was kind of the original Snyder Cut-like controversy. And I I did watch a video on this and did a little bit of research, and the, the trouble that this film and both these films went through in regards to production is staggeringly just awful. <laughs> like, I I've thought I heard like really bad productions but um and something I didn't know we didn't know last week that I learned this week is these films were made back to back they were designed as a duology of films which is why you had you know 78 to 80 that's a pretty good turnaround because it it was it was a very quick turnaround for them because they were literally in production at the time and yeah you had Richard Donner coming in and doing his thing, and I'll, maybe I'll link the video down below so other people can watch it in things, but it's a whole mess with Richard Donner, of course, being selected to do it after they chopped around to Spielberg and a bunch of different people. They finally settled on him, and there was really great camaraderie between him and the cast, apparently, and then they brought in this other guy, and the people that, the the the, the brothers or whatever, the family that like got the film rights were just like these these like, wise guys that, like, screw people over for a living, and then they basically screwed Richard Donner out of a job and forced him out uh, mid-production, and they got Richard Lester to finish this film, and Richard Lester took it in a completely different direction of what Richard Donner was going for. So uh, maybe I'll get into more of the specifics of, like, what happened and why certain things happened later on when we get to those things, because there is some very obvious things like the humor and kind of the tone that are very different about Superman 2 in regards to, you know, in contrast to Superman 1, and it's 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 because of all this behind-the-scenes drama. Well, even though there is this type of, of drama about production, I I can't help but feel like, even with that, the final product doesn't necessarily show that all that much to me it wasn't that evidence maybe it's because it's a sign of the times and just all of it looked kind of similar i'm not calling it a smooth movie by any means right but just the 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 tonality of it and the the coherency of it it looked fairly even across the board and you know that's not something that we saw with like solo or even Rogue One, right. if you want to use, like, change in the, in the hierarchy and the mid-production examples from more recent. But I didn't really get that vibe very much at all from this movie. And I don't know if that's a testament to the editing or if that's a testament to just how this movie was supposed to be from the beginning and how it turned out. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I and I will I actually will agree with you. I I went into this and that's good that you as someone who didn't know about all this stuff went and watched it and didn't get that interpretation. I really didn't either. It's just the fact of that I was vaguely familiar with the whole behind the scenes drama with this film right. from years back. So I knew kind of going in that something had happened. I knew that, you know, obviously, you know, I 
refer to these films as the Donner films in many different circumstances. And they really are, but they're kind of not, because you have Richard Lester, who is credited as the director for this film. And he, you know, per the Guild rules, he filmed over like 70% of it and refilmed a lot of what Richard Donner had already done um, to get that director's credit. And so I will say that I enjoyed Superman the movie more than this one. I have a lot of issues with this one. But overall, they feel kind of the same. They feel like two movies that are think obviously they're carrying over this. You have General Zod and his his goons um showing back up after showing up at the beginning of the first one. Like there's some good cohesive there, obviously telling the same story. Um but overall it's it like there is it this movie is significantly wackier in its humor style and just what it's doing. <laughs> In a lot of cases, stuff that kind of pulled me out of it in places, but at the same time, that stuff is not out of the first one. There's a lot of very comic booky, wacky stuff in the first one that I can almost appreciate just the fact of it is what these movies are are go on, and that's what they're part of the DNA DNA of these films is kind of this wacky, you know, wink and a nod kind of humor that's going on. Yeah, see, to me, last week, looking at, at those, at, at, at some of those wacky lines and stuff, I was sitting there thinking just how cheesy the writing was <laughs> for, like, a solid three hours. Like, you heard me make fun of how it was, like, Krypton versus Krypton and Luthor versus Luther, and, right. you know, there there was there was just not a lot of cohesiveness even within the movie itself about the titles, let alone the 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 delivery of the of the lines like even the exclusive interview between lois and superman up on the balcony like she asks him do you like pink after he reveals that the color of her underwear is pink and i'm just like <laughs> like it just made me j- like choke and gag a little bit i was like oh why are we going there why are we doing that and i did see some of that in this movie but i think the difference possibly for me is I guess I knew a little bit better about what to expect given what I saw in the first movie and it didn't feel quite as jarring when I experienced it in this film and I think I was better able to appreciate it for what it was rather than critique it for what it wasn't yeah and I think maybe I think that what helps this movie is in regards to it does more embrace the kookiness, for lack of a better term. <laughs> like it kind of leans into it a bit more, so you can kind of like, okay, this is what this movie's doing. This is what this movie is. In regards to the first film, is kind of all over the place in tone. Like it's a bit wacky in places, but it's also trying to be very sincere in other places. And yeah, it is very cheesy in a lot of places too. And so it's kind of all over the place in that, whereas this movie is like, you know, just thinking back to the sequence in the city where they're fighting and, you know, like you have this good, it feels like 10 minutes of screen time is devoted to Zod and his guys 
trying to blow away everyone, like using their breath. I was just like <laughs> rolling my eyes through the whole thing. I'm like, oh my God, what is this? What am I watching? And, you know, you have the guy falling over in the, in the telephone booth and he just continues his conversation as if nothing is happening. And it's, it's hilarious. But it's also like, my God, what are they doing here? <laughs> that scene... And then the scene where there's basically an implied fisticuffs fight that happens in the sewer. But all you're doing is watching people step over them on the street. That was That's a good gag. I really like that one. That one felt very Batman-esque. You know how when the old original Adam West Batman series was around, they'd get into the fight scenes, but you wouldn't see the punches get thrown. You'd just see the thing that say, bam, and pow, and, you know, that sort of stuff. It felt like they were doing that without actually giving you those those weird signs that show up in the middle of your TV screen. It was like, yeah, there's all this stuff going on, but no, we're not going to show you. <laughs> and also, like, really good for the budget, too. They didn't have to, you oh. know, all the actors just, just went down there and just stood around for a second and jumped back up. Oh, hell yeah. And no, no, no ILM special effects either, so... Uh... Gotta get it, hand it to them for the exactly. For the... Okay, speaking of handing it to them, I read on a on a trivia piece that uh, during one of the encounters between uh, Margot Kidder and Sarah Douglas, Sarah Douglas played Zod's lackey Ursa, and of course uh, right. Margot played Lois. During the filming, uh, there are a couple of times. Once when Zod comes into the Daily Planet newsroom, and then again when you're uh, in the Fortress of Solitude. Yes, Fortress of Solitude. When you're again, when you're in the Fortress of Solitude, where Lois punches Ursa in the face. Oh yeah. In one of those sequences, I don't recall which one, but there's there's two sequences where Lois punches Ursa in the face. Apparently, one of those sequences, Margot Kidder forgot to let up, and actually punched Douglas in the face and knocked her out cold. Whoa. Oh snap! That that reminds me of. Have you seen the picture of from from Blade Runner twenty forty nine? There's this candid picture of. Uh, it's literally when a uh, what's his name, the guy that played Agent K in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. What's his name? Wait, are you talking about like the star? Yeah, the star, the guy that's in there. You, you you mean like the main dude? You don't know the main dude's name? No, I've got the the podcasting itis of forgetting people's names for for no apparent reason. And I'm just I'm just rubbing it in your face because I totally know what his name is, but I'm just sitting here like watching you like stew in your own sweat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Um, uh, Ryan Gosling. See, I was gonna say Ryan Reynolds. Yes. I was gonna say Reynolds, but I'm like, no, that's not right. That's Deadpool. Gosling. <laughs> Gosling. And see, it took me longer to come up with the name than to provide the anecdote. So, uh, yeah, that was just a botched bit. Ryan Gosling freaking punched Harrison Ford for real in that movie. There's a picture of it. If you just Google, you know, Ryan Gosling punching Harrison Ford. There's a picture of, you know, Harrison Ford obviously being punched and Ryan Gosling sitting in the background going, oh, like, you know, he did something wrong. Um, but he did. But uh, that's what I'm. That's. Like, he knocked her out. Like, that's crazy. 
it was it, it, that's just one of the many anecdotes that I read about during the little trivia section. But that was one of my favorite ones. I was like, wow, these people did their own stunts, but didn't do them very well, apparently. <laughs> wow, that yeah, Margaret Kidder's got a mean right hook. Uh, that's uh, that's impressive. Uh, apparently so. But uh, uh, yeah, that was that was something that I really enjoyed about this film. And I think one of the other things that that I enjoyed was um, I, I think it was just the storytelling. I think the story that they told was more about the traditional Superman that we know. You know, I, I feel like a lot of what happened in the previous Superman was an origin story, and that's kind of what it was supposed to be. But this one, it's like the world knows Superman exists. The world is counting on him. The world depends on him for certain crises, like with Paris. And he just he just happens to show up and save the day, except for the one time that he doesn't. And it's when one of his arch nemeses shows up. You know right, what I mean? Right. Right. It's like it's like all of the the good things that you expect from this sort of storytelling. It's it's the the arch nemesis, the arch rival of the hero. It's the the damsel in distress. It's the it's the using a hot air balloon to break out of prison. <laughs> Again, this movie, man, this movie. <laughs> I felt so bad for poor Otis, though. I did too. I like he's a buffoon, but uh, you know he didn't deserve that. Didn't know he didn't deserve any of that. It made me so mad. I was like, no, what would? Why would you do that to him? Um, but you know, I like I said, I think the thing about this movie is. I was just better able to appreciate the good rather than critique the bad. Because for every, you know, hot air balloon to break out of prison scene that you get, you also get really great quips and one-liners from characters like Zod. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think at one point somebody says, oh my god, and he corrects them and says, um, yeah, Zod. It's when the president is kneeling before him, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Oh," and and the the president's like, "Oh God, Zod, Zod." Yes, exactly. And I'm like, "Oh, that's clever." <laughs> like, I think maybe I just appreciate a general Zod as a more believable villain because the Lex Luthor that we got in the last film was just kind of like really, really out there. <laughs> yeah, but this guy like. He he shows his power like he he presents himself in such a way that, you know, I think I think the thing that sold me on Zod's character was when he met the two county sheriffs. Right. And, and they like take out a shotgun at him and he just like shoots himself at point blank range and he just calls it like a glorified noisemaker or something and i'm like oh damn you, yeah. you just kind of asserted yourself there a little bit although i do love what the older sheriff said to Dwayne. like if we if we had to pick like one zinger that really stood out to us like i even 
wrote this down and like put it in the notes in my phone because I enjoyed it so much. He says, you got to learn to kick ass if you want to be a peacemaker. <laughs> like, oh my how God. contradictory is that? It was just, it was so brilliant. I had so much fun with that. And I think I just had fun with the writing. You know, maybe I just enjoyed General Zod's character and, and his writing and the way that he he gets people to do what he wants, either by force or by manipulation. And and then the I, I I wish I knew how to put it. I guess it's the it's the it's it's a it's a classic take on the old damsel in distress story, you know, because mm-hmm. Lois becomes one of the focal points at several instances in this film, like at Niagara Falls or again when she's like his reason for giving up his powers or at the end of the film when they take her hostage. Like there are several times that you have to do things to try and help Lois. But at, uh, at the same time, you've also got to kind of let her be her own person too, because of how well she asserts herself. So it's, it's a, it's a really interesting contradiction because she's the, the brave and assertive one. But she's also the one that Superman has to save. It's it's a it's a very interesting duality. Yeah, and you know she still even being used kind of as a as a plot device, you know, and, and as a bargaining chip, she still gets a lot to do. You know, yeah. and I love I love the moments when and something that I wasn't really expecting was that she f- figures it out on her own, which is very smart smart writing. I think you know if you're going to continue the series very much longer, you have to have her at some point go, wait a minute. <laughs> like, like, I get it from the first movie. She couldn't figure it out. But like, by the second movie, she's smart enough character that she can figure it out. And she does. But the way Clark just totally, like, commits to it, like, she jumps over Niagara Falls and he's like, oh, oops. Like, you're going to have to figure this out on your own because I'm not helping you. Yep. And uh, so good. And then, you know, later, as, as you said, she gets to take out, like, uh, one of one of the people Ursa, yeah. so, uh, yep. you know, she gets a lot of great moments in this movie, and, you know, also, you know, in, in her own way, uh, is just a really great part of it. She is. She is. She she plays she plays her part well, and that that's a, that's a tribute to, to, to Margot Kidder more than anything. Um, Absolutely. But going back to the quips for just a second here, I'm looking at, like, the quotes on the IMDb page just to refresh myself. I think one of my favorite ones is is in East Houston, Idaho, which I don't even know if that's a real place or not. It probably isn't. <laughs> um, the the army helicopters flying overhead, and Ursa looks up and goes, "Look, they need machines to fly." And Zod's like, "What bravery! Be nice to them, my dear. Blow them a kiss." And then she like cooks up this this storm that like tosses the the chopper out of the sky, which I do feel like is a little too soon for me to be talking about, considering there was a pretty prominent helicopter accident that happened not too long ago. So I'm not I'm not gonna stick on that um, too much. Right. Understood. But but it it was it was pretty clever the way that they that they took that out and then. When, uh, when the three of them march into the president's office, I think this may be one of my favorite lines in the whole in the whole film. 
he looks at the presidential seal in the Oval Office, and he see and he and he says to to the group looking at him, he says, "I see you are practiced in worshiping things that fly." Good. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Here, speaking of the White House scene, I'm going to yeah. give you a comparison here. I'm going to want you to tell me which one you like better. Okay. Is it this scene or the X-Men Nightcrawler scene? Both uh, both breaking into the White House, destroying it and killing a bunch of people. Oh, Nightcrawler without question. That, same here, same here. I just want to make sure. Nightcrawler, oh yeah, a hundred times over, Nightcrawler. But I think I liked Zod's presence more. The 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 action and the and the taking of taking out of people wasn't as impressive, but the way that he carried himself. Like we know Zod's character has always wanted to rule. And it's like throughout the course of this film, as he discovers his powers and as he asserts himself he starts to carry himself like a ruler and i liked that about him i liked that he's not just talking the talk but he's like walking the walk as well yeah i really i liked that whole scene and i liked the whole idea of i don't know just the whole thing with Having this all-powerful person just show up on planet Earth, and, you know, I don't want to keep bringing up Batman v Superman here, but, like, it uh, adds it adds credence to, like, Bruce Wayne's point in that movie, in, like, if he wanted to take over the world, he just could. Like, he's Superman. But yeah. then you have, basically, you know, Zod and his guys, and girl, um, who are basically just evil Superman, or just, like, drunk on that power... Right. And again, another just wacky, stupid, but great sequence when they're on the moon and they're just like, they're just, they're just <laughs> going around killing the astronaut just for fun of it. And just like realizing their power It's just like, what is happening? They, they, you know, they blow up that poor guy and, you know, it's like, it's just crazy. But the White House scene is just great. I love how they try to fake him out with a fake president, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, he comes forward, he's like, no president would, you know, no true leader would would bow so easily, and you know it's a great line there too, mm. and you know it also lends the fact that like they would have no choice, like you know they they just you know what would you do? Yeah, of course you'd bow to this guy, like what you know he'd just kill you, and then later Zod and his guys are just sitting around. They they conquer everyone, they get everyone to agree that they're the ruler. They're just bored. <laughs> Right? They're just sitting here. I'm thinking, like, if you just leave them long enough, like, they would probably just leave because they have, they're, they're like, they have nothing to do. Right. They, they, they have their tributes. They have their territories now. And it's like, okay, now what? Like, it was almost like the conquest was too easy for them. They needed a challenge. And they got said challenge in the form of Superman. Yeah, I and gotta give it to to Lex Luthor. Like the guy's a snake, but he's no coward. Like he goes in there, like they could easily kill him, and they do try to several times. But like the whole idea of like him just going in there, just like, hey, uh, can I have Australia? And that's an interesting territory for him to ask for, also. Right. Like 
he wanted he wanted California in the last movie, and now he's got his sights set on Australia. Like, I I still see him as more like a mogul than a villain. He re- even though he keeps referring to himself as a villain, that would be the only thing that I would probably like. I don't know. Like, I think they're doing a lot in the comics, and it, and it, and very much so. Like he feels like a comic book villain. They're like he he knows he's the bad guy. He's just he's just happy to be the bad guy. I think you could totally spin it, spin Gene, Gene Hackman's performance as like he's just a guy. He's just an entrepreneur. He's just out for himself, and he's all about you know making money and doing all this kind of stuff. And you could totally spin it that way. And he's very good, but he also is constantly going the greatest criminal mind in the world. Well, like, exactly, exactly. That's the thing is he has to keep calling himself that in order to remind the audience that that's who he believes himself to be. <laughs> right. And and that therein lies the issue that I have is you look at somebody like the Joker from The Dark Knight. He never calls himself a villain. In fact, he calls society the villain. Like turns the idea of villainy completely on its head. But you know just from the way that he acts, from the way that he carries himself, the way that he dresses, you know, there's just something about him that is inherently antithetical to what a regular person is supposed to be like. That that makes him stand out. Lex Luthor, rather, blends in and doesn't strike me as a prototypical villainous character. Because all that he really is, like you said, is more of an entrepreneur. He, he's he got ventures. He's got gains. He's got interests. He's got opportunities that he's trying to take advantage of. And I don't really see anything wrong with that. Like, yes, redirecting a nuclear missile to the San Andreas Fault for the purpose of increasing your property values... That's a bit of a dick move. <laughs> yeah, and, and like getting rid of your arch rival by turning him over to the three people in the galaxy who actually could take him on and in return you get to rule Australia? Like that's not a bad deal. I don't necessarily see that as like a villainous move. I see it as being opportunistic and getting rid of your competition. Yeah. Yeah, and he I don't know. And this is Lex Luthor is a character, at least in the comics, that goes on to become president of the United States, yep. which is ironic, being that he, you know, very much makes himself at home in the, in the Oval Office in this movie. Yeah. Um. And and you you can totally see him doing that, but like, I think you know, but Gene Hackman's just hamming it up, like he's just totally like, just one hundred percent was like this, you know, basic. Not basic, but like just this crazy villain who knows he's the bad guy is is totally cool with being a criminal. But I think uh, it, had this continued, I could see. You know, I haven't seen those movies yet. I I'm pretty sure that's not the case. But I could totally see like a Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor playing the president of the United States in one of these films. Like it it could have worked. Hmm. This is interesting. I don't know how this plays out, but um. I'm looking at the IMDb trivia again. Okay. One of the top pieces of trivia it says here, get this. 
Gene Hackman did not return for the second film. And see, that's one of the things. That's, it's really convoluted, and I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it, but like Marlon Brando didn't come back. Because Marlon Brando, for the first film, had this amazing deal. Like he had a huge chunk of the percentage of the gross of the film, a huge thing. But they saw it as like, oh, if they get Brando in, they can get other people in. I think Gene Hackman signed on because Brando came on. So, but when it came back around to Richard Donner being fired from this movie, I think he was essentially fired, um, you know, they didn't, certain actors didn't want to come back, and they just didn't. And Gene Hackman was one of them. Um, And they had to use a, I think some of the scenes, they had to use a voice doubler and a body double Mm -hmm. to get his scenes, make his scenes happen. Yep, it says they had to use a lookalike and a voice impersonator. And if you notice, he doesn't do a lot like in the back half of this movie. He doesn't do a whole lot in this movie altogether, really. He's kind of just like there, and he makes his presence known, and he's, you know, constantly trying to swindle Zod, but like he is kind of absent. He's not the main villain, and that's kind of the point. But like, you can tell that they may have tried or had to try to kind of make him feel like he was more of a presence when he wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But go, talking talking about the the budget going towards cast members, that's pretty much what Halloween did with uh, Donald Pleasance, I think was his name. Oh, really? Like, from, from what I can remember, uh, the 1978 original Halloween film had a pretty low budget. And they put... A whole, whole lot. I think it had a budget of 250, 300,000. It had a budget of $300,000 for the whole film. And they spent a lot of that just on Pleasance being casted in the film. Wow. As a, as a detective or something like that. Like, they... They invested a lot in getting one person. Here it is. Um, Donald Pleasance was paid $20,000 for five days of work. Wow. (laughs) $20,000 for five days. Damn. That's $4,000 a day. And... 20,000 out of the 300,000 for the whole movie. They paid him almost 7% of their entire budget. Wow. 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 So, I I get it like you want to get a big name like Brando, like Hackman, bring them on so that you get some notoriety in there. But what's funny is I I feel like this movie did well the first movie rather did well enough obviously to warrant a second movie and you didn't necessarily need to have such big title roles in there to still give you a decent story and a decent movie especially when the whole purpose of this movie was to bring back General Zod like you didn't really need to rehash your rivalry with Lex Luthor they just kind of did it anyways to remind you of certain characters from this universe. But he wasn't like an 
integral part aside from revealing where the fortress of solitude was right like aside from stumbling across that after his magical escape from prison he really doesn't provide a whole lot to the actual advancement of the plot yeah and he's mostly there like just as the one person on earth who will actually help zod (laughs) Because that's it true. helps get rid of his rivals. Exactly. So you know, exactly. It, and that's and that's what I was meaning earlier about you know getting rid of the competition. He's only helping Zod because it's advantageous for him. Exactly. Exactly. There's so, an angle. There's something in it for him. Now speaking of speaking of acting and uh, parts of the cast on the opposite end of having all these huge names involved. There was another name in there that uh, I did not expect, and it continued the, uh, apparently, the tradition of Superman films having some big cameos. Did you catch any cameos in this one? Big cameos in this one. I'm trying to think... There, there's one. There's one. I'll give you a hint. There's one in Houston. There's one involving General Zod, a character that General Zod meets. Um. Well, I mean, I saw John Ratzenberger this time. You did. I caught him this time too. I, I definitely caught him in this one a lot more than I caught him in the in the previous one. I'm trying to think of who else might have been in there because. I th- I thought that one of the terrorists looked familiar, but I couldn't put my finger on it exactly. Hmm. One of one of the one of the Parisian terrorists, um, but I I couldn't say for sure. I didn't catch any of those, but one that I did catch was when uh, General Zod is out in Houston or what he calls Houston, and there is a TV crew there, and they're reporting on it. Mm-hmm. And the TV guy, the the little announcer guy that's on that's reporting for the news, is uh, someone we've seen in Star Wars before that I was not expecting. And uh, this is right in the same era too, seventy seven, you know, to eighty. Um, Mr. Richard Leparmentier, who is probably most famous for playing Conan Antonio Mati in A New Hope. The guy that gets force choked by Vader in the original Star Wars. Um, he's the guy that's talking to Zod and is the TV announcer. And I'd never seen him in anything else besides Star Wars. So that I was shocked to see him here. The one who says, don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader? Yup, that guy. He's the TV reporter? Yup. Damn it, I really didn't want to go back and watch this movie, but now I almost kind of have to you got to at the very least go check out my twitter (laughs) or my facebook because i i i I, as soon as i saw this i'm like oh my god i can't i can't believe what i'm seeing and i i tweeted and facebooked a picture that said uh yeah i can't i can't believe i'm witnessing uh the first meeting of uh chancellor valorum and uh admiral Mahdi in superman 2 well, apparently he also had a role in Man in the High Castle because no, he couldn't have because Man in the High Castle came after he passed away. Yeah, he's been gone for oh, 
good he's many been, years now. He's been he's been gone since 2013. So why would he have anything associated to do with Man in the High Castle? That makes no sense. He's got a pretty unique name. I doubt anybody has. And there's a duplicate Richard Leparmentier out there. No, probably not. But, uh, uh, okay, uh, I did. I did recognize uh, one of the terrorists, though. Um, one of one of the three Parisian terrorists was played. Where is he? Where did he go? Played by Richard Griffiths. Mm, who's that? Richard Griffiths is Uncle Vernon from the Harry Potter franchise. Oh, oh, that guy. <laughs> yes, that guy. Wow, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so I thought I recognized him, but I mean... Surprised I didn't catch that. That's like, what, 25 years removed between franchises or something like that? So... It was it was a very very young Richard Griffiths. Yeah, that's way before Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, which is interesting because like all the other like the other cameos that I saw, you got Larry Hagman, John Ratzenberger, and now Richard Leparmentier. Like mm-hmm. this was prime time for them. Like you know, you know, uh, John Ratzenberger, of course, was Cheers and doing all kinds of stuff, and he also was in The Empire Strikes Back. Um, and then you know all the others which is great but yeah um it's amazing just it's amazing to see you know and also like i still will like you know it 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 boggles my mind when i realize that certain actors show up elsewhere and i didn't notice them like (laughs) like for example i didn't know the actress from the mummy is gonna be in the black widow movie i didn't know that i didn't know that was the same person it blew my mind oh of all things but uh, a lot of good cameos. This 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 uh, the Superman movies they 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 give us uh, enough to talk about with cameos, and I appreciate it. Well, I kept waiting to see if the the guy drinking coffee when Zod first lands on Earth was a cameo of some sort because they gave him like a really tight close up, and I was like, who is this guy? Am I supposed to recognize this guy that's decided he's had too much to drink and he's just not going to have spiked coffee anymore? And you never know, like, it could be a cameo, but it may not be a reference that we're getting because, you know, a lot of times they'll just put somebody in there that's, like, famous at the time, and, you know, that's, you know, it's just just the way this works, you know, it's like putting, uh, I don't know, (laughs) like putting Ed Sheeran in Game of Thrones, like, 30 years from now, people aren't going to know, who's Ed Sheeran? Who's that guy on the piano? Right. But, uh, yeah, a lot of good cameos. And a lot of good, uh, just, I think they continue, the cast continues to be really, really well done and real, well, uh, well performed in this one. I don't think, uh, Christopher Reeve has as good a performance in this one being as it is that he's, he's towing the line, the line between Clark Kent and Kal-El, which I think was huge in the first film is now really blurred in this one intentionally. Well, and Um, Lois catches on really easily too. Like all it took was him having foggy glasses at Niagara Falls and she pulls it off of his face. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, 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 you look a lot like Superman. And then like the kid falls over and Superman like just happens to be in Niagara Falls. And she's like, 
what an amazing coincidence that you just happen to be out this way when I'm out this way. Like, <laughs> I will say, I will say, having foggy glasses at Niagara Falls, that's a real problem. As someone with glasses that's been in Niagara Falls, that's a, that's, that's a big deal. I believe it. I, I, I don't doubt that for a second. It's just funny that that's how they choose to reveal it and, like, have her pull his glasses off and be like, Superman, what are you doing in Clark Kent's suit? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of jokes in there that they could have gone with, and there's a lot of jokes that I've seen <laughs> out there right. where, uh, like, oh my god, Superman! Wait, where, where did he go? <laughs> he puts, put the glasses back on. He puts the glasses back on, and it's like, wait! It, it, it's like, it's like when you're doing peekaboo with a baby, it's like, where did daddy go? Oh, there he is! Wait! <laughs> Where did Superman go? Clark takes glasses off. Oh, there he is! <laughs> like, that's so that's basically what this is. It is absolutely. Um, but at least, like, at least they're playing it that that Lois is playing it smart. Like she instantly realizes it, and then you know is constantly trying to. But like she does it in the most like. She dangerous way possible. Not just dangerous, stupid. Okay, <laughs> stupid, 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 stupid. Like just think, I get my life that you're a Superman, and I'll prove it. Watch this, kabloosh. <laughs> like, bitch, what are you doing? Get out of there. <laughs> like, I totally lost it at that. I was like, oh shoot. Oh, shoot, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And he didn't do anything, which I was rather impressed by. Like, he looked around and, like, used his x-ray vision to, like, cut a branch down for her. Like, that was the that was the closest he would get to, like, actually saving her. And then it's like that whole scene goes to waste when he just stumbles into the fire at their cheap motel, like, two minutes later. Yeah, I love it. He's co- He's so committed, and then he ends up botching it himself. Yep. And uh, he's so pissed off. He's like, dang it, like, he was so close. Like, self-sabotage. And again, this is where a cheesy line comes in, where she's like, maybe you didn't want to do it with your mind, but you did want to do it with your heart. <laughs> I was like, ah, 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 Kill me. Kill me now. Okay, here's here's something else that I want to talk about, and it's something that's still bugging me even after watching this movie. Like, Oh, goodness. It, like like this is this is this is a legitimate gripe that I have because I still don't know where I land with all of this. I still don't know where I fall with my opinion on all of this. Uh in in the first movie she kind of like expresses some interest in Clark and then kind of friend zones him at the beginning of this movie. She's like, "Yeah, I value you as a friend." And he's like, "Oh, as a friend, huh?" Like He's obviously crushed by that. He's disappointed by that. And then, like, she finds out that Clark is Superman, and all of a sudden she does a 180, and she's just, like, starry-eyed looking at this hunk of a friend that she's been friend-zoning for the last several God knows how many months. And she says to him, I think I'm in love with you. Um, and, and that's, and that's um, where Clark... Clark just needs to go, if you can't take me at my Clark, you don't deserve me at Superman. I just, I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, 
It's like a superpower gold digger going on right now. <laughs> she's like, in. She's into the muscle, not 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 to his brains or whatever. I don't know. But she's she's into what he can do, not who he is. And that's the part that gets to me. Is I I they go to the fortress of solitude, and he's consulting with the crystals about you know you know I want to be with this woman. And the the his his holographic mother says you've got to give up your powers in order to be with a mortal. You've got to become mortal yourself. And he chooses to do that. He chooses that life so that he can be with her. But the problem is she didn't fall in love with Clark Kent, mild mannered, average Joe, mortal man. That's not the guy she fell in love with, and yet that's the guy he turned himself into so that he could be with her. That I... she gets super overwhelmed by it. She literally says, "Like I can't believe you would do that for me," or something like that. But she never says thank you. She never like expresses gratitude over it. And I think at one point she says, "I don't know what to say," and he says, "Say you love me," and she just kisses him but doesn't say it. <laughs> she doesn't say that she loves him after he did that. Like this is an abusive relationship is what it, I what I'm thinking. It's I'm super abusive. Like it's mentally abusive and then he takes like a physical abuse by giving up his powers for her when she never asked him to do that. She never asked him to give up his powers. She never asked him to become a mortal. She never she never asked him to turn back into Clark so that they could be together like she never she never asked him for any of that she she never wanted any of that the guy that she fell in love with was the superhero and as soon as he gave up his powers so that he could be with her it's like he willingly gave up the part of him that was most attractive to her so that he could be with her yeah I and I I don't get like the whole idea of oh you have to live as a mortal to to have a relationship. Right, that's also bull. Yeah, it's like no you don't. You don't have to do that. Like you're talking to 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 dead people. Like you're going to let them like run your life like he could totally have a relationship with her and stay as Superman. Like it can happen. Like stop trying to like and and that's what like I know it's emotional at the end, but it kind of fell flat for me. I'm like, just, just have a relationship with her. Like, don't, don't let like your dead parents that have been gone for so long dictate whether you should be happy or not. Well, okay. The only thing I can think of, and this is gonna get like a little crass here for about mm, sixty seconds. All right. It's it's gonna get like PG thirteen here. It's not gonna be just. PG, maybe borderline R, depends on how you want to look at it. All right. I'll, but, I'll, I'll bleep anything if I have to. <laughs> well, you might just have to bleep out this whole 60 seconds or have people skip ahead or something. I don't know. But um, we know from seeing things like the arm wrestling scene in the bar that these people possess very, very superior strength in the matter of um, human appendages. Okay, I see where you're going with this. That that don't require a lot of effort 
and yet that minimal effort is capable of physically breaking a person. So in the matters of the bedroom, would that same context apply? Uh, where, yeah, you're you're not wrong there. You're where, really not wrong. Where minimal effort could result in maximum breakage? I, I take it, though, that Clark knows his own strength. Like, he knows, like, you know, he, he, he obviously, like, he can shake someone's hand. But then, you know, he shakes Zod's hand and then crushes it with his own hand. Like, he can control his powers, I think. Yeah, but that type of act, you get kind of carried away at times. If you get too carried away, it could result in a broken hip, or worse. Yeah, I don't want to imagine the injuries that might mind, My mind's just in the gutter right now. <laughs> I'm um, sorry, I didn't mean to take it there for too long. I'm going to take it back out of there now. But Abort! Abort! Yeah, but I, I, I can't help but feel like Part of it has to do with the, with the with the physical attributes as much as it does the emotional. Like, I I, I can't help but wonder because at, at one point during the final sequence, the 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 other Kryptonians, pardon me, the other Kryptonians, look at Superman's care for the people of Earth as if he's caring for pets. Right. And and so, I I can't help but wonder if. Like the the punishment or the penance for fraternizing with less than creatures is that you no longer get to maintain your status as a higher being. I I don't I don't get I get that that uh, Zod is absolutely in that camp. He sees everyone as lower than himself. He definitely sees any Earthlings as lower than himself. I don't think Kryptonians think like that. I think Kryptonians, especially Jor-El and his wife, that I don't know her name, I'm sorry, um, he, that, like, I think they are definitely like, okay, Earth, you know, they're not as technologically advanced as we are, but, like, they can still, they can take care of our son. Like, they, they trust a lot to random humans to raise their son and do all this stuff. I don't see them as seeing above it. And I think Superman, Clark Kent, comes at it as like he doesn't see himself above everyone else. And that's the that's the thing about, you know, and the juxtaposition of these two different viewpoints and the whole message of this movie is like Zod's coming in there and they discover their power. Like, oh, they're just they think they're gods, and they start wrecking the whole house and proclaim themselves king of Earth. And Clark is willing to give it all up for for just one woman. Right? Like he he doesn't even care about his powers. Like he's like, okay, I'm just gonna give it all up. I don't even care. I care so little about my powers and my superiority that I'm willing to just you know take it all away and live as a normal human being. Um, so that's the whole thing with that, and I like that messaging, but, you know, also it's just like, you know, like, how does he have a thing that takes away his powers when he's technically an alien, and because he's an alien, he gets, you know, the yellow sun that turn gives him powers, like, how does that work exactly? Right, how does that, how does that crystal, like, get rid of his powers, then he steps back out into the sun again, and it's like, isn't that gonna recharge his batteries? 
Like, does it rework his DNA or something and make him human? Like, it's just, it's a very, again, it's very comic booky. It's very like, okay, just roll with it. Don't question it. Well, and again, how did he get his powers back? You know, that's that's not explained. <laughs> he he loses his powers and then he goes back and he sees the 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 original green crystal, the piece of kryptonite. And I don't know if he, like, ingests it or something. Like, I don't know what happens then. And then just, like, a little bit later, he just shows up, suiting everything, and he's back to kick ass and save the day again. Yeah, we see the first time he does it, it's he gets into the chamber, and then not only does his powers go away, his suit goes away. Everything yep. becomes a normal human being. Yep. And then we see it happen again, and he somehow reverses the thing so it's outside. But it doesn't do anything to Lex or Lois, but it, it, it depowers them. But... I guess the assumption is, and that's the assumption that I'm thinking, is like, it's just a machine that can just turn your powers on and off whenever you want, I guess. Uh, Something like that. Which seems very contrived and very convenient. Well, yeah, of course it's convenient. Everything about this movie is convenient. (laughs) Oh, look at that. We've got a convenient hot air balloon ready to take us out from this prison compound. That's convenient. Oh, Not Not convenient for Otis. Yeah, okay. That... But, I mean, lackeys never get anything convenient. That actor got shortchanged. He, he didn't show up again. Yeah, he really did. Like, that's it for him. Like, I feel like that's a supervillain origin, like, in the making there. Like, Otis is going to come back and he wants revenge on Superman and Lex Luthor. I really don't see that happening. I'm sorry. <laughs> not not from Ned Beatty. I don't I don't see that happening from Ned Beatty, unfortunately. But if he spends like ten years in jail, he's gonna he's gonna grizzled and he's gonna be bitter and he's gonna want gonna take take everyone out and you know, it's gonna be great. But he's so dedicated to Lex though, that's what's so unfortunate is like he he's just he's so devoted to to Lex, to Mr. Luthor that I don't I don't see him turning on him like ever. Like he sees it as holding down the fort. Like he's he's gonna serve his own time and serve Mr. Luthor's time while he's there or something like that. Like that that sounds more like Otis's Otis's way of doing things. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I, I am curious though. Now that we've done Lex and now that we've done General Zod like obviously there's more movies in this franchise who's going to be superman's uh, opponent in any ensuing events you know we're obviously not going to get like steppenwolf or somebody like that apparently richard pryor is the villain in the next one <laughs> do we have to watch that yes we do we've committed to this do we have to no, I am I am genuinely like sadistically curious about those movies. So I am game, and you're coming with me. You have no choice. <sighs> Unfortunately, not. <laughs> so we're looking at where we're we looking at. We're looking at Superman three, the nineteen eighty three film, and then are we going to look at like Brandon Routh's Superman Returns as well? Oh, we got Superman four in there somewhere. There's a fourth one. Yes, what I the think. Hell. I think. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. I gotta do some research here. Uh, Superman movies. Um, yeah, there's uh, Superman, Superman two, Superman three, Superman four, The Quest for Peace. The Quest for Peace. And then, technically speaking, I've heard that Superman Returns retcons three and four out of existence. 
So it's a direct sequel to this film. Dude, Superman 4 has 3.7 out of 10 stars. That's why we have to watch it. We've watched Zombies. We can handle this. I don't know, man. I don't know if there's enough alcohol in the world to hold up with this. It's only an hour and 33 minutes. It's 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 like half the half the length of of the first one. Somebody wrote a review in 2002 saying 6 out of 10 um so bad yet so watchable. I'm telling you, we could have a new Zoomies on our hands. 2 was almost as great. Superman 3 is not as great. But as a piece of 80s American comedy spoof, it succeeds and has some very memorable scenes. Part 4 is just an awful film overall with few redeeming qualities. <laughs> Dear God, what have I gotten myself into? Now, it's funny, there's a, uh, there's a scene in Crisis on Infinite Earths, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, where the Brandon Rouse Superman who is playing this kind of kingdom come version of Superman references after fighting another version of Superman references the fact that, Oh, this is the second time that I've gone crazy and fought myself. And that is a reference to Superman three where he does just that. Dear Lord. (laughs) Dear. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. The next one's two hours and five minutes. Here's the other thing. Spending a lot of money renting these things. I might have to start Jack Sparrowing this stuff if it gets worse and worse. My my, my offer's still on the table. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, boy, oh boy. So you're going to have Richard Pryor as Gus Gorman in the next film. I don't even know who Gus Gorman is. I don't think anybody does. Oh, dear. A Metacritic score of 44. Dear Lord. <laughs> what was the score for this? What? Seven ten from reviewers on uh, I'm Metacritic score of eighty seven. That's not bad for this film. That's I heard it got good reviews when it was released. That's very interesting. Release date of June nineteenth, nineteen eighty eighty one. Maybe we need to break these up a little bit so that I don't like go crazy from all of these consecutively or something who, who knows yeah we, we might can find something next week to do before we jump into the madness well we go <laughs> we go spiraling down a crazy train who knows um had you seen this movie previously or was this your first time watching it okay so yes and no i had not seen this movie all the way through i'd actually seen like from halfway through to the end before so I knew where it was going. I knew the general premise, but you know, obviously, seeing it all in context helps. But I had seen kind of the ending. I knew the whole thing with you know. I think I'd seen the diner scene and stuff like that, um, where they go and he's lost his power. So I was familiar with this movie. I'd seen part of it before, but I you know never watched it all the way through. <laughs> no, Tom's diner. No. <laughs> What now? You've never heard the song Tom's Diner by Suzanne Vega? I've heard the song. I didn't know the name of it. Yeah, I heard it on the radio recently and just put it on my favorites list on Spotify. Really? I didn't know. Did not know. It's a good song. It is a good song. I I like it. I don't know. I, I got distracted by the idea of a diner and then thinking of the diner song. I think this whole episode is just a big distraction. 
And well, I mean, maybe not in a bad way though. And sometimes podcasting proves to be a really good distraction. Just one one distraction after another. Um, because we're just distracting ourselves from real life. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's also pretty true. It's a good way to get away for a little while, if you will. I do have a, a, a quick little thing that I want to play with you after we're finished doing our planet scores. It's something I meant to do at the top of the show and then didn't do, so I want to do it after our discussion. All right, um, cool. Um, maybe we want to take a quick break really quick, and then we'll we'll come back and do that. We can totally do that. So uh, we'll have a, a quick listen from some of our uh, friends, partners, patrons, however you want to put it. And we'll be back on the flippity flip when we wrap up this discussion of Superman 2 right here on the IPC podcast. Don't go anywhere. This is IPC. IPC listeners, this is Joey Mays, intergalactic patron and promoter of my family business, Mays Sandwich Shop. We are proud to be supporting IPC and the endeavors of young, talented individuals like Zach, Ben, and Jake. Should you ever find yourself in the area of Reading, Pennsylvania, be sure to stop by Mays Sandwich Shop. Started by my grandfather in 1947, currently owned by my father and operated by my sister and me, May's Sandwich Shop has been serving delicious food to the greater Westlawn area for over 70 years. If you ever do visit, be sure to tell them IPC sent you. side of that little break there wrapping up our discussion of superman 2 here on the ipc podcast but before we do that quick shout out to our patrons of the program like joey mays jake damon rachel perry dan grievous parker ott and carrie fleming you guys are the ones that help keep this show running and keep us afloat thank you very much for helping us do what we do we could not do it without you 
And if you're interested in becoming a patron, you can find us at patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast. All of our levels are there. It doesn't go any higher than five bucks a month, which is just one trip to Starbucks fewer per month to help support local podcasting. So be sure to check us out at patron.podbean.com slash IPC podcast. It's got a lot of exclusives and a lot of benefits, a lot of media content. If you like listening to podcasts, we've got our entire library available there. And uh, you can get all that and more by becoming a patron. And while you're online, be sure to go find us on social media at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go find previous episodes of the IPC Podcast on StarWarsUnderworld.com, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Or just hit the subscribe button on our main page, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Nice. Very nice. Ugh, out of breath now. Got to take a breath. <laughs> I did that all in one breath. All in one breath. Which, that's a, that took about as long as it took General Zod to blow over those people in the downtown metropolis so yes yes and i love another thing that i want to point out before before we move on is the fact that people in this on this earth are so chill about like aliens coming to their planet and literally taking it over and there's just people wandering around like oh yeah i gotta go get my groceries like you know life goes on even though there's a you know the president has given up and (laughs) he's been overthrown by general zod these people, though, they kind of tried to pull like a like a Spider-Man kind of thing, you know, pull on the train, lift Spider-Man up when he's injured or whatever. Like right. they thought they thought Superman was dead in this movie. And they're like, yeah, I know Kung Fu. And they like pick up a pipe and they start like going after the general. And that's when he has to blow them over. But you like get to him, you got to go through me. The city was ready to rise up in Superman's defense, which I thought was really cool. I love that. That's one of the best like, – that Spider-Man moment is one of the best like superhero scenes ever. And the fact that it might have originated here, um, great, great little message, great, great little scene, even though they didn't stand a chance. No, they didn't, but it was it was a nice intention. Um, while, while we're talking about this sort of – this sort of thing. Um, I, I do have to provide one more critique before I go back into praise mode for this movie. Um, the scene in Niagara Falls uh-huh. where the little boy falls over and Superman appears and he dives down uh, into the falls and picks the boy up. I just happened to have um, the closed captioning on for that sequence and I, I still don't know what to make the boy up and he's flying back up against the falls and there's like these spectators that are providing their comments and stuff you know it's like up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane it's superman it was it was that type of commentary and i just i just sent you the screen grabs that i took on uh, on my on my phone while I was watching this, I sent it to oh, you yeah. on on Facebook. I hope it goes through. I don't know if my internet's acting up on me or not. I don't know if you can see it or not. I believe I got them. But um, as he's flying back up, one person says, "What a nice man!" And then the very next person says, "Of course he's Jewish." <laughs> what? Like just. 
casually mentioning that Superman's Jewish because he flew down into a waterfall and saved a little boy. Yeah, guys, that's obvious that, he, you know, anybody that would fly down into a waterfall and say, the little kid is, is Jewish. Yeah, that, that makes course, sense, totally. Of course, he, of course he's Jewish. I love the of course part. It's like, what a nice man. Next line. Of course he's Jewish. Yeah, it's not, oh, he's Jewish. He's not, oh, I think he's Jewish. It's, oh, of course he's Jewish. Of course he's Jewish. It's like, oh, he he dives down into Niagara Falls and saves a little boy? Of course he's Jewish. <laughs> What is that? Was that in the script? Was someone just on a hot mic that just decided to riff? I don't know. I have no idea, but it's just ridiculous. Because, like, I need to turn this into, like, a meme or something, you know? Like, of course he's Jewish. <laughs> this is a meme in the making. Absolutely. It so is. Oh, it so is. But uh, I, I think unless you have any other specific elements to discuss, it's probably about time we go into our final thoughts on our planet scores for the, this film. I, I think we've done enough riffing and tangents in this movie because this movie has inspired a lot. And I could talk about it all night. But, yeah, we uh, we can definitely I think I think I've prepared myself enough to get into this. All right. All right. Well, I, I will yield the floor to you first then, sir. All right. Well, like I said, this movie I don't think is as strong as the first one. I didn't enjoy it as much as the first one. I still enjoyed it, and I still think it's, in its own weird, wacky, kooky way, it's really enjoyable, and overall, it's just it's just a heck of a ride. And, you know, it helps that you've got uh, Terrence Stamp, um, as Zod, you've got, you know, Christopher Reeve again bringing in some brilliant performances. Margot, um, you know, all of them, like, they're, they're brilliant. And it really elevates these movies and, and it makes these movies ticks in, in regards to, you know, making them work. I don't think these movies would, we, we'd be, we probably wouldn't be talking about this movie right now if it wasn't for people like Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder because they make, they hold these movies together. And it's, this is this one especially. And I, I like, like, yes, it's, contrived it's convenient him taking away his powers him getting them back like yeah it's a bit out there but at the same time it's you know the whole thing with you know him learning to be human and learning to live among them and be one of them and you know the whole juxtaposition of you know what Zod's doing versus what he's doing and you know just the fact that of course the one day Superman decides to get rid of his powers is the day that the Earth would get invaded by evil Kryptonians. That's just the way it works. It's just my luck. But uh, yep. overall, overall, it's 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 crazy. There's some scenes that made me roll my eyes. Other scenes that I had to laugh, and other scenes that really gripped me. And it was really really interesting. I'm gonna give this movie. I'm gonna give this movie a six point five out of ten. Oh boy. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a whole point lower than uh, than last week's results. You gave Superman one a uh, seven point five. I think if I think in comparison, I'd probably bump my Superman score up after seeing this movie. So Superman goes up, and Superman two goes even further down. Basically, <laughs> if that makes sense. Dang man, did we even watch the same movie? I can't. I, it really is amazing that. 
you did not like the first one, and I was I was okay with it. I I really liked it, and then it's 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 swapped. Like our opinions are just all over the place. It was, well, I think the difference between last week and this week is that last week I really didn't know what I was getting myself into, and so a right. lot of those tropes kind of caught me by surprise. And I think this week I was just able to anticipate and embrace them a little bit better. Some of the lines that were delivered, I knew that they were coming. Uh, and then some of the, uh, the the elements and some of the fight sequences, things like that, were just things that didn't really surprise me all that much. And then there were other parts that I actually kind of liked. Like I said, I kind of liked the way Zod carried himself. He stood out. He stood apart. He walked the walk as well as talking the talk and was able to conquer the entire planet in a matter of days, basically, which yeah. is something that I think a lot of supervillains aspire to, but very few actually succeed at doing it. And Zod was able to conquer the world in this movie. He's one of those few villains that actually succeeded in his task. He wanted to rule. He got to rule. Even if it was for a short time, he still won. And I, I think I just appreciated the, the idea of having evil Kryptonians that carry themselves as gods compared to Superman, who has the exact same powers but uses them for good. It's a classic good versus evil struggle, looking at what a good person does as opposed to what bad people do when they're given the exact same opportunities. Yeah. And so it, it was it was a really nice little duality exploration there. And the romance between Lois and Clark was was very interesting to 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 watch as that unfolded. And you got more exposition with the Fortress of Solitude, which just happens to have a, a convenient dining room table and a convenient bedroom tucked away behind all those crystals there. Like, mm -hmm. where where did that silver mattress come from? I have no idea, but it allowed them to, you know, get naked together. So whatever. But that's that's kind of what made this movie so endearing to me was all of these cliches and tropes that you would expect to find in a movie from this time. They were there, but it was like they were cleverly timed and appropriately placed and didn't feel like they were being forced into the story in any way. And so that being said, I enjoyed the ride. I enjoyed the story that it presented to us, the way that it was presented to us. I'm really curious to see what the Donner version looks like compared to this. Uh, and, and, you know, how are they similar? How are they different? I'm not going to pay $3.99 to find out. But, you know, I, I am still curious how much is surrounding this particular film. There's a lot of talk that it's one of the best Superman films in existence. And so far from what I've seen, I would kind of tend to agree. I wasn't thrilled with the man of steel origin story. I wasn't thrilled with last week's movie. I definitely didn't like Batman V Superman or justice league. So as far as my feature-length experiences with Superman films is concerned, this one has probably been my favorite experience with them. 
And so I I don't say it lightly when this is probably my favorite Superman movie to date and probably my third favorite movie from the year 1980. Mm. Obviously, Empire Strikes Back takes the top spot. And then The Shining also came out in 1980. But then after Empire and The Shining, I would put Superman 2 right up there in that trio of favorite movies from 1980. Yeah, and it's interesting, I think, that I think it helped you maybe that you kind of got got a chance to kind of get into this universe and sit with it for a bit or a week, and maybe the, the first movie kind of sets you up for like, okay, I'm getting into this, and uh, that's why you enjoyed this one so much. I, I, I think it oh, helped. Right, it, it, it's possible. Like, if I went into this one without seeing the first one, I feel like some of the the flashbacks and some of the exposition that they did might have helped fill in the gaps. But now that I've got a a, a movie under my belt and I I know about these characters and I know about the actors and actresses that play them, and then you bring back General Zod from the first movie, like you said, it was very cohesive. It's good storytelling. It feels like a cinematic universe is kind of unfolding here. If they were able to introduce other superheroes – in Metropolis, it would feel even more like a cinematic universe. But these two movies coincide with each other and connect to each other rather well. And even though I didn't really care for um, Superman a, a whole, whole lot, like I even listed off 75 movies that I liked <laughs> better than <laughs> Superman, um, I don't think I could do that with this one. I think there are a lot of movies on that list of 75 that I might actually place Superman 2 above them. Really? I I I very much enjoyed the storytelling. I I didn't quite care for the pacing. Uh it it, it felt a little dragged out towards the end there, but it've been a little shorter. Here's the one thing that I forgot to mention that I feel like I need to mention before we're done with this discussion. I appreciated number 1 the attention to collateral damage that this movie paid in Metropolis. Very, very few casualties, very few injuries because you were in an isolated town when Zod was showing off his powers to begin with. And then during the fight on Metropolis, it's more like in the air throwing punches while you're flying type of thing. And you're not getting a whole lot of innocence involved until Zod notices that Superman cares too much and tries to exploit that weakness to his advantage. Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh... <laughs> that, that is something that we don't see in a lot of modern superhero movies. Like with the original Man of Steel, there's just stuff crashing because these two characters don't give a rat's ass about what's going on around them. They're just duking it out. That 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 is such a great contrast because like this movie's like Superman is going out of his way to like save different people, yeah, and is very conscious of that. And and then it plays into the plot because General Zod's like it doesn't even consider General Zod like he doesn't even fathom it. He's like, oh, he actually cares about these people. We're gonna use that against him. Exactly. And and then in. God, in, in like in all the new DC movies, it's like, oh yeah, we're gonna completely level Metropolis. 
Right. We're during this battle. Yeah. We don't care. We're going to kill, like, probably millions of people, and right. we don't care. Right. They don't care. That's the point, is, you know, the, the modern-day Superman cares about the world, but he doesn't necessarily show his care for the people of Metropolis or the individuals like he does in these films. And he he wanted to do everything in his power to make sure that the falling debris wasn't landing on a random woman and her baby, you know? Yeah. Like, he was doing everything in his power to to, to, to to catch the bus and stop it from careening. There are not a lot of villains in the use them as a strategic advantage against the superhero trying to save the innocents. That, to me, was a great storytelling element that, A, helps the budget because now you're recognizing that you don't need a big disaster stuff because the superhero is trying to prevent that from happening and B allows you to utilize that to the villain's advantage and the hero's disadvantage. You're turning that whole saving the innocence idea on its head by making the hero do exactly what you expect him to do, but it's at the expense of stopping the bad guy. Right. Like, that is really, really good storytelling. Like, better storytelling than I was expecting it to. The fight sequences were eh, and some of the graphics were eh, and like you said, some of the comedy and the and the cliches and the tropes were eh, but it had good acting. It had good storytelling. It had a good flow of, of where it was supposed to go. It had things where the characters grew and evolved beyond who they were from the first movie and grew and evolved beyond who they were at the beginning of this movie. Like, as a writer, I appreciate the storytelling and the growth that we experienced in this film. And I like that there's not a whole lot of finality to Zod's demise. He just falls into this this cloud-like chasm, but we don't see the body. We don't see him die in Superman's arms or anything. So, you know, these characters may not be gone. Their demise isn't final. Yes, Superman won the day, but has he saved the world? Probably not, because we got two more movies to get through. So, <laughs> you know, there's just something about this that it's got that happily ever after feel, but also an ambiguous ending kind of feel. Kind of a, a happy ending, but what's going to happen next kind of situation. And I like that. I like that it leaves the door open for something more to be told. So I don't know, man. I guess there was just more about this movie for me to like than to dislike. I now embrace the character. have come to understand and what to expect from them and expect from this universe. And like I, like I said, probably my favorite Superman movie to date and if I recall correctly, I think I gave an eight to Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, but that was a long, long time ago. I may have given it a seven, but mm. uh, this one is is going to get an eight point two. Wow, very good, very good. I gave good. a uh, very long-winded answer to just say eight point two, but there you go. <laughs> oh gosh, I got a few more thoughts that I needed to get in there, and I just I almost forgot about them, so. Uh, thanks for that little tangent there, but we're officially done talking about this movie now. <laughs> I, one other thing, one other thing just occurred to me while you were talking. Mm-hmm. Where was the kryptonite? Where 
was Lex Luthor's kryptonite because it would have worked on them. It would have worked on Zod. Shouldn't it have? I think it's hideout. Like maybe they, they never they they never go back to that secret lair for this whole movie. Yeah, maybe he got confiscated by the police or something. Sure. We'll go with that. That's <laughs> that's happened that's happened before. Okay, well we're not quite done talking about this movie. We got one more little segment uh that, that we like to do here on the program. It's called the quote of the night. Where mm-hmm. instead of us talking about the movie like we've done for the last hour and a half, um, you get to you get to hear something from the movie itself. Uh, this is this is a really interesting scene because they're at this really cheesy honeymoon suite motel up in Niagara Falls, doing like a puff piece story that Lois really doesn't want to be a part of, and yet it ends up turning into one of the most important trips of her entire life. Yeah, and and you have this whole scene that that sets them up with, uh, you know, you know them kind of kind of being on the outs as friends and as you know potential couple starting out, and then it all starts to unravel. Right, because they they've just gotten back from her trip in Niagara Falls, where she actually jumps in thinking Superman's going to save her. And then Clark doesn't and just takes her back to the room. She's hella embarrassed and trying to warm up by the fire. And he actually stumbles and, like, lands hand first into the fire. You can't actually see that, so I'm going to be, like, describing that little sequence to you. When you hear him, like, kind of, like, exclaim, it's him catching himself and landing in the fire. And... You know, after all of that elaborate deception where he doesn't dive into the water to go save Lois, all it takes is one little trip and fall into the fireplace for her to realize that he is who she thought he was from the beginning. Right. So I'm going to shut up and I'm going to let you guys have a listen to this. It's a very interesting scene in the development of their two characters and the development of the movie as a whole i present to you guys tonight's quote of the night where's my comb where's my comb god not only have i lost my mind i've lost my comb clark can you pass me that brush over there please i'm sure No, 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 it's okay. Clark, let me no. see your hand. No. Give it to me. No, no, it's all right. Let me no, look no. at it. You are Superman. Oh, Lois, come on, don't be... I did. Well, 
Maybe you didn't want to with your mind, but maybe you wanted to with your heart. We'd better talk. I'm in love with you. Then we really better talk. I'm listening. We can't talk here. Perry's going to be calling about six to find out what's happening. What's happening? That's the understatement of the year. Where do you want to talk? Love? Now that you know, I think you should know it all. I want to. Let's go to my place. Maybe I should change first. Maybe you should too. And there you go. Great scene. Wonderful scene. Except for the part where she's like... I know, I know. wanted to with your heart. <laughs> it's sappy, but it, it's, it's all right in my book. Oh, golly. Uh, it's, it's, still, it's still good development. It's good character development. That's what I have to keep telling myself. It's good character development. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I will, I will give it a pass. Yes, yep. I'm, 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 I'm feeling generous tonight. You have a pass, <laughs> Superman Two. Congratulations. You have been passed. Congratulations. Right. It's not. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a letter grade A B C D. It's just pass fail. You passed. We're, we're just we're looking the other way this time. But next time, maybe you're not be so lucky. Uh, maybe not because. This to me, this feels like one of the few times. I know, I know, you're going to disagree with me on this, but I feel like this is one of the few times where the sequel actually improved upon the development from the original. Like, yeah, see, this is that's what I was coming, going, and expecting, and then I came out going, "Wow, that was a that went really downhill fast." Oh, uh, well, at least we had it's fun. It's not a bad it. movie. It's not a bad movie. It's just not not great. <laughs> oh, well. I I think we've only got one more thing to to cover on this evening's episode. And this is this is one that you have been uh, particularly excited about, one that's got you on the edge of your seat. I'm leaning back in my seat cuz I'm getting comfy. But right. uh I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to see how this has a, a twist that has to do with this segment because the topic doesn't sound like it correlates, but maybe it does. I guess we'll find out. Yes, we will. Uh-huh. Yes, we indeed will. All right. It's time then folks get out your hashtags, put them on social media, put them on channel 1138.com if you're listening live. But if you're not, then go find us at IPC podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use it there. Use it on Pinterest. Use it anywhere that carries a hashtag. Cause it's time. One more time. For hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Barbecue.
So I want to start this one off with a question. I have a question for you, Zach. Uh oh. What do you call cheese that doesn't belong to you? you Nacho cheese. <laughs> oh God, what have I gotten myself into? Uh, you have no idea. Um, so that that joke kind of figures into this and it kind of doesn't um but you know i just had to I had to start it off with that and also just make you groan because it, it gives me life to hear you groan okay well <laughs> you got you got me <laughs> so tonight i am talking about something that i just ate a couple nights ago that uh, i had at home and uh it was something of course working in a barbecue restaurant you have other things, you have things just kind of leftovers or whatever that sometimes need to be eaten. Generally speaking, don't eat barbecue that much, especially for dinner, because it would get old after a while. But uh, this was a bit different, and this was something that uh, my mom cooked up, and it was barbecue chicken nachos. Ah, uh, that's where it comes in. Because when you just said chicken nachos... I think of, like, the kind of chicken nachos that I get at my local Tex-Mex place. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It's, it's not barbecue. It's more like salsa-type chicken, like red chicken. Right, yeah. I, I was trying to keep it concealed there, trying to conceal the spoilers. I gotcha. There. But I, okay, uh, so, this one is actually barbecue, unlike last week's. Okay, so so give me, give me like, an ingredients list. What do, you, what do you put on this barbecue chicken nachos? Well, you know, the funny thing is, it's pretty simple. There wasn't much to these things, but they were good. So to kind of back this up a bit, um, in regards to the chicken, so we serve barbecue chicken here, um, which starts as just regular smoked chicken without the sauce on it. And then that chicken, if it doesn't sell one day, it is put back, and then it is pulled off the bone, and the next day it becomes barbecue pulled chicken. And we put gotcha. sauce on it and it becomes barbecue chicken sandwiches. Or just you can get it as a, you know, just like pulled pork or whatever, like as a side or whatever. Um, and it's really, really good. People swear by this stuff. It's amazing. And for some reason, it doesn't work when you put like, when you take like barbecue chicken that's like fresh and pull it. It doesn't taste right. For some reason, it has to be like a day old. It's just weird. It has to be leftover chicken. So... We have this leftover chicken, and it's already got barbecue sauce on it. So adding that to a pile of nacho chips, and then, of course, putting cheese on top of that, and then whatever else toppings you want, and then just baking that. Outrageously good. Like, I was surprised. I, I shouldn't be surprised, because the ingredients are pretty pretty there, but uh, really, really good. And something that I uh, hadn't had in a quite a while. And, you know, you usually if you get nachos, you get beef or whatever. Um, but getting barbecue chicken was really good. I, I like it when I have pulled chicken on my nachos. Because at, uh, at my university's uh, baseball uh, complex, 
they have a, a Tex-Mex restaurant that sponsors the concession stand. And mm. they'll do, like, tacos and burritos and the traditional things like hot dogs and sausage and peanuts and popcorn and stuff like that. But they also have nachos that they'll do. And when you go to a ball game, usually it's like the circle corn chips with, like, the the yellow cheese sauce that comes out of a machine. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, that stuff. Yeah, that stuff's not the best. And they charge you through the nose for it, and then the jalapenos are, like, in a container that looks like it's been sitting out for two days, and it's just like, uh. But this place, <laughs> they do it up nice with their chicken nachos. They'll get, like, like a like a boat you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the boat bowls that are like kind of deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'll put like a lot of corn chips in there. And then they start with like white queso cheese. Like not the yellow. Mm. It's like it's like the, the queso blanco kind of stuff. And mm, they'll put okay. they'll put a layer of that on top. And then they'll put the pulled shredded chicken. And then they put a whole bunch of different fixings on it. They'll put diced onion. They'll put um, cilantro. They'll put uh, pico de gallo, like a, like a like a mild salsa almost, and then they've got this something that they call garlic sauce that huh. they'll put on it, in addition to um, like uh, shredded uh, parmesan cheese or something like that on top of that. So it's like two kinds of cheese and the meat and the chips and like all these other fixings that go on it. And then you can have like jalapenos put in there as well. And oh my gosh, you top that off with some of their signature hot sauce. Uh, it is some of the best nachos I've ever had in my life. That sounds really good. Yeah, I like that. And you have you ever been to Denny's? Yeah, I've been to Denny's. That seems like a really dumb question, but I, I asked it anyway. Um, of course, everybody's been to Denny's, but Denny's has some of the best nachos I've ever had in my life. Really? I don't know if you've had them. Um, if Do you, you ever go, huh. so what? I I just I don't think nachos when I think Denny's. Well, yeah, me neither. Like when I go to Denny's, I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta get the 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 grand slam and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like, they have terrific nachos, and they they put all kinds of stuff on there. Um, I'm not even sure what it is. It's kind of you know, it's of course it's ground beef and got some other things on there, but just they they it's a mix it all together. And nachos are really easy to screw up. Like nachos, you gotta have the right amount of like ingredients stuff like that. It has to be evenly kind of placed. You know, sometimes you could end up with a little bit of topping and just like a lot of empty chips. And uh, they don't do that there. Everywhere I've had them, they're fantastic. Really, that's interesting. That's very very interesting. Oh man, you're getting me hungry now. It's just, it's it's one of the bummers about the the way we structure this show is it gets late at night and then we end up wanting to talk about food and then we get hungry. <laughs> it happens. Okay. So last week I presented a challenge to people, yourself included, to go find a local historical marker. Cuz there's so many of them out there. To try and find one that's just a local historical marker that talks about a piece of history in your town or neighborhood and maybe take a snapshot of it and talk a little bit about what you found and what you read. 
Do you remember that challenge? Yes, I do. Did you find anything? Nope. (laughs) Uh, I went to the movies twice. I had no time for history. (laughs) Actually, I saw 1917, so that, 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 that works as my history lesson. Oh, it's it's a it's a living historical document. <laughs> yeah, I should have taken a picture of myself in the theater, and that should have been it. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I did find one. Oh, nice. Um, it's actually right outside of the school that my brother attends. Uh, it's 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 a it's a school for uh, adults with special needs. But it wasn't always that way. The school building itself used to be Booker T. Washington School, according to the Texas Historical Commission. And really? at one point, it served the African-American students of the town that I live in. It had roots as the city's first black school and was in place in the 1890s. It served as the growing African-American community known as the Hill, located northwest of the original town boundaries. As the Church of God in Christ furnished additional class space as needed. In 1902, it became part of the newly formed independent school district with someone named George Stevens and someone named Gloria Eccles appointed as the teachers, with Stevens also serving as the principal. There's also a George Stevens Park just down the street. Oh, okay. Uh, The original school building was replaced after a severe storm in 1903. Students attended the school until 8th grade, at which point they went to I.M. Terrell High School in Fort Worth. A new facility opened at this location in 1954, officially named for the educator Booker T. Washington. The building had eight classrooms, an administrative office, and a cafeteria. A gym was later added, and then Stevens continued to serve as the principal of the institution. In 1965, the uh, public schools began full desegregation, and Booker T. Washington closed and became Vita Knox School, a facility for students with special education needs. Wow. And that's what it serves as to this day, is is an education place for students with special needs, but... The location and the building and the purpose was originally one of the first African-American schools in the city. That is awesome. Yeah, that's really cool history. Really little, cool. Little little tidbit of history there. I was I was kind of glad that the plaque was just randomly sitting outside there because I was like, oh, cool, I can take a picture of this and use that on the show so I don't have to go search for anything. <laughs> <laughs> It was literally convenient. It was it was extremely convenient. It was literally just like sitting there in front of me, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll I'll go with this then. That works." <laughs> uh, wow. Well, I'll I'll try to do better next week. Uh, I will try. Uh, if if you all have a little piece of history that you want to share about your town with us here on the podcast, we might just read it off. Send it to us on social media at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or go find us personally online. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Zach, Z-A-C underscore D-F-W. Or you can find Ben on those same platforms at Ben Hart with no E. Spell that out as you hear it, Ben Hart with no E. Although it's really confusing because, like, your username 
not your not your handle, but your username actually spells your name with an E. And it like drives me crazy because I'm like, okay, is it heart with no E or heart with an E? Well, now now I have changed it because I was I was bullied by a certain someone named Celine to uh, change it up. Now it's Ben with no heart. Oh jeez. Oh jeez. Go go follow us for all of that drama and then some. Uh, there's a game that I played recently on my Twitter page that I'd like to see you all play. Uh, yeah, I was I was yeah I just stumbled across it and then decided to play along. But it was it was a, a user from a mutual called uh, call me underscore Scooby. And they said, I'm curious, drop your favorite Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, DC and Marvel character. And so the four pictures that you use on Twitter are the four pictures associated with those four franchises. And I was like, yeah, I'll play. And so I posted mine. And uh, I don't know if Ben played yet, but I'd be curious to see what you're for. I am. I'm looking at it right now, and I've got to think about this. So after the show, this is my next project of I gotta, I gotta put put it together and do mine. So if you want to find out what my choices were, and if you want to see what Ben cho- Ben's choices will be, go find us on social media, and you'll be able to see it. Absolutely. Uh, but speaking of history, I think this podcast is history. And it's just about time to uh, put this one to bed, unless there's anything else that you've got on your mind, bud. I think we did it. I think we uh, did this one right and talked about it, uh, even though our opinions differed. (laughs) You know, it always makes it interesting, and uh, it's been fun. You know, as I said, I had seen part of this movie, but seeing it all in full context and seeing it right after the first one, and then learning about the production of this movie and how how uh, how troubled it was, and we only kind of tipped the iceberg of like understanding this. And uh, but yeah, it's it's crazy. But this was a fun movie. This was a fun discussion. I can't wait to do it all again next week. Well, you said that there's a YouTube video that's about 20 minutes long that goes into some pretty in-depth explanations as to some of the stuff that went on. So maybe we can include that in the description of this episode or put it that. in peacekeeper core or something like that so people can absolutely follow up be in with the it if they want to but i think that's going to do it for this week's episode of the intergalactic peace coalition podcast episode number 271 is now officially in the books for ben hart i'm zach arnold thank you for tuning in to this week's edition we hope that you'll tune in next week But until that time comes around, we just want to leave you with this closing thought. Alliances can stall true intentions. And our intentions are to see you next week right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone.
Of course he's Jewish. 